0: traveled far
1: Well, amen. Let's take our Bibles, turn over to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3. We're in our study in a book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3. We're looking at that particular chapter. Ecclesiastes, chapter 3. Sorry, my phone's going crazy. You can still do it, it says. Which means I'm still able to reach my goal... I work out really hard right now. <clears throat> so that's not going to happen. All right, here we go. The meaning of life, we're going to look into that just a little bit today. <clears throat> we're going to start reading in chapter 3, and we're going to read through the chapter. I know it's 22 verses, but it gives us a feel for the chapter and helps us as we move along. But the Bible says to everything, there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven." A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to rend and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, a time to speak a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. What profit hath he that worketh in, the, in that wherein he laboreth? I have seen the travail which God hath given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also he hath set the world in their heart, so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. I know that there is no good in them, but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. I know that every, what, uh, whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it. And God doeth it, that men should fear before Him. That which hath been is now, and that which is to be hath already been. And God requireth that which is past. Moreover, I saw under the sun the place of judgment, that wickedness was there, and the place of righteousness, that iniquity was there. I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. I said in mine heart concerning the estate of the sons of men, that God might manifest them, and that they might see that they themselves are beasts. For that which befalleth the sons of men befalleth beasts, even one thing befalleth them... The one dies, so dieth the other. Yea, they have all one breath, so that a man hath no preeminence above a beast, for all is vanity. All go into one place. All are of the dust, and all turn to dust again. Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward, and the spirit of the beast that goeth downward to the earth? Wherefore I perceive that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his own works, for that is his portion." Who shall bring him to see what shall be after him? Well, as we look at this particular passage, like the rest of the book of Ecclesiastes, we note that we have a human author. And as a result, he's going to have a human perspective. Solomon is simply saying, hey, what's going to happen is going to happen. And in verse 9, we see his conclusion when he says simply, what profit hath he that worketh in that wherein he laboreth? What good is it all? What, what profit is there in all that we labor? We work hard, we strive, and what for what? What's it all about? He basically is looking at it and going, well, is it all, it, it, it's all for naught. It profits nothing in the end is what he's actually getting to. But that's not entirely the case, is it? That's not true at all because, see, God does everything with a purpose. He has a reason and He has a time for everything. In verse 11, we notice the very beginning of verse 11, it says, He hath made everything beautiful in His time. Well, God has a purpose and He has a plan for everything. And it's true that everyone will experience the good and the bad. That's just the bottom line. Everyone's going to experience joy and sorrow, highs and lows. But God has a master plan. What He permits in our lives, He permits for a reason. He doesn't permit anything in our lives just to allow it. He has a purpose. He has a reason. He hasn't overlooked us. He hasn't overlooked our situation. He hasn't forgotten about us. He hasn't abandoned us. No, He has a reason and a purpose for everything we encounter and even those things that we endure. He has a reason for those too. See, life is nothing more than a series of events, feelings, and experiences. And when you really boil life down, it's just what we experience, it's what we do, it's the things we hear and say, things we touch and feel. Why does God allow such things in our lives? What's the meaning of it all? Simply put, we could say, what's the meaning of life then? Because if life is simply those feelings and events and experiences, then what's the meaning of all of that? What's the purpose of all of it? What does God tend, uh, seek to accomplish by all of it? And I want to share just three reasons for all of it. And I want to, I guess, speak to you concerning this issue of the meaning of life or why does God permit life to happen? Because when it's said and done, if you're going to live in this world, you might as well hold on for the ride. Because things aren't always going to be good. They're not always going to be nice. Difficulties are going to come. Heartaches and hurts are going to be part of living. Joy, but sorrow too. Happiness, but sadness as well. Unfortunately, they're all part of what we would call life. So why does God permit life to happen then? Well, I'm going to give you three reasons why I believe life happens. I'm going to give you three reasons for the meaning of life then. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, you'd speak to our hearts, and may you encourage us through the Word of God tonight. We desperately need you. We thank you for your Word and the comfort and the strength that it brings to us, the instruction, the inspiration that we find in it, the hope and the help that, Father, is at our fingertips. We love you. We thank you. We give you the glory. In Christ's name, amen. So why in the world does God permit life to happen? What is the meaning of life then? Well, I think He lets life happen, what we find in verse 11, so man cannot grow independent of God. So that we can't grow independent of God. In verse 11, Again, the Bible says, he hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. What he's saying basically is, we really don't understand, nor can we really grasp the concept of, of what God's all about. We really, he's beyond us and what he's accomplishing, what he's doing in our life. We have to be dependent on him because we can't really figure it all out. And then I say that God never intended you to figure it all out. He just wants you to simply be dependent on Him. Now, there are things that He'll extend and, and, and understanding that He'll give us. And if you pray for wisdom, He'll give you that. But th- there are things about God and His creation and the world and the situation and circumstances we find ourselves in that there is no way in this world, on this side of heaven, that we'll ever fully and completely understand it. And God says, listen, you don't have to understand everything, but what you do have to do is depend on me. Life always leaves us wanting and asking why if we're not careful. And again, God clearly permits all kinds of circumstances in our lives, but he permits those in our lives to draw us to him. He may not even have been the author of it in the sense that he brought it to pass. But the point being is that he will use it now to draw us to him. He does not want us to be independent of him. He wants us to be dependent. He does not want us to go to the philosopher or to the psychic or to some professor. But instead he wants us to come to him. Because he has all the answers. And He has a purpose for everything. And the truth is, you and I will never understand life until we seek to know God. Because it is in God that we find all purpose. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct thy paths. That word trust, Defined would mean confidence, a reliance or resting of the mind on the integrity, veracity, justice, friendship, or other sound principle of another person. We could say it this way, he or that which is the ground of confidence. What is it that, has, what is it that you're placing your confidence in? What is it you're, or who is it you're putting your trust in? According to the passage, we are to place our total and complete confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, with all thine heart. I mean, there, not part, not mostly even, but all. And when we trust the Lord, there is never a time or place for partial trust. It's not like I'm trusting the Lord a little bit. No, you, you are to trust Him completely and so am i when you think about it we trust in many things other than him and and i'm not so sure that that's all wrong don't misunderstand me here. that's not necessarily wrong now hold on before you draw a line and say wait a second you just said i have to trust in the lord with all my heart yeah but you know what you can love more than one person can't you you can care about more than one child can't you You can have a love to a mother, you can have a love to a spouse, you can have a love to your children. Listen, I believe you can trust certain people that have earned your trust. But you don't, your trust is dependent on their performance. Loved ones, family members, friends can be trusted to a degree and there's nothing wrong with that. But they shouldn't be trusted above and beyond the Lord. They should not take the place of Christ. And when we do trust and understand that when it comes to God or the Lord Jesus Christ, we do not ever trust partially. We never have to worry whether or not he's going to come through, whether or not he's going to make good on a promise. We can trust him to the end. Therefore, we can trust him with all our heart. No reservation at all. The Bible says in the book of Psalm, chapter 18, verse 2, the psalmist is speaking and he says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. See, others may let us down, but God will never let us down. Others may forsake us, but God will never leave or forsake us. You and I can count on God to the very end he is trustworthy. He is dependable. And we are commanded to trust Him above all others. See, God allows life to happen in order to focus our attention on Him. It's really not normally the times that are good that cause us to focus. It's those difficult times in our lives that, that really kind of recalibrate us, that kind of refocus us. Recapture our attention even. If you remove God from life, there is no meaning in it at all. See, nothing really makes sense otherwise. See, there is no meaning in life without God, and God provides purpose and meaning for each and every one of us. So, first of all, Why does God allow life to happen? I mean, what is the real meaning of life itself? Life being, in this particular case, just simply series of events and feelings and experiences. Why does He let that happen? Why does He permit all kinds of those things to happen? Well, I believe, first of all, so you and I will never grow independent of Him. Number two, so man will learn to appreciate the goodness of God. Again, if there's an area that we're weak in, it's appreciation, it's thankfulness. Now, I know that there are some people that are more thankful than others. At least it appears that way. Maybe they were raised to be more thankful. Sometimes it seems that we're being raised in a generation of uh, this element of entitlement. And as a result of that, people really aren't as grateful and thankful as they ought to be. They feel they deserve something. They feel as though they're owed something. And as a result of that, they're not grateful for what they have. They're simply always believing that they deserve something else. Solomon, in in chapter 3, verses 12 and 13 says, and again, it's our text, he says, I know that there is no good in them, but for a man to rejoice and do good in his life, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. Man goes through life and God permits life around him and and lets women go through life and life around them for a reason and I believe one of those reasons from what I can tell in scripture is that we appreciate his goodness. In in James chapter one verse 17, the Bible says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Any good thing in your life, any good thing in my life Is a direct result of God's hand. Ecclesiastes is written from the viewpoint of a man, and so we're really not surprised that he comes away with all this, uh, from all of this, with this kind of this idea that well, there's no point in life, and that's basically where Solomon lands here to some degree. I mean, I'm working, I'm striving, I'm doing, and it, and it never ends up in the long run. It doesn't matter. It, by the time he gets to the end of the chapter, he's saying basically animals die, people die. What's the difference? We all end up dying. We all go back to dust. <clears throat> We're going to experience good and the bad. Just when seen, things seem to be going good, he says the bottom's going to fall out. That's a pretty, pretty real and pretty uh, uh, insightful perspective. It's legitimate. It's exactly how it is in life, isn't it? So when it's all said and done, you might as well enjoy the good times because sooner or later the bottom's going to fall out. The viewpoint removes God from the equation, though. That's the problem. It does make sense, but that's not all there is. It's not just a series of ups and downs that we live. It's not just about, well, good times come, bad times come. You don't know when there's a time for this, there's a time for that. To everything, there's a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. Guess what? Good, bad, right, wrong, boom, 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 boom. Everything like that's not what this is all about. Because see, there's a God involved in this. Solomon's viewing this from the standpoint of a man, from the perspective of a man that sees life as it is from the flesh through fleshly eyes. But the truth is there's a God in heaven that has a purpose for everything. See, there is no meaning in life without God. God provides the purpose and the meaning. And the truth is that we must all have experienced good times because if we've not experienced the good, guess what, we won't understand what we're in? A bad time. And unless we have bad times, we won't really understand what the good is. And God wants us to understand that He is a good God and that He provides us with wonderful things. And although we may not have everything we want in this life, God is still good. And it's all said and done, I guess. The good and bad in a believer's life is really... A greater part of perspective, isn't it? Because I guess if God's permitting something bad in my life, if He's allowing it, I didn't say that He's the one that put it there. Let me tell you, there's a lot of reasons why bad comes into our lives. It's not always because we did something to earn it or deserve it. But God has permitted it and He's allowed it and He's he's put it in our pathway. Wait a second. If indeed it's a part of God's purpose and plan, if it fits in some way to His overall scheme then in a way, might we not be tempted to view it as good? If indeed it's there with a purpose, if it has a real purpose in our life to build us or to make us or to mold us, if it has something to do with the future and reaching out and making an impact or a difference down the road, is there a possibility that even the bad times, if seen through the eyes of God, are not good for us? Do we not need to be careful not to see them through the eyes of flesh then? Understanding beyond what Solomon understood. Solomon could only see through the eyes of flesh. It's just a series of ups and downs. It's a roller coaster ride. But God says, no, every." Dip and every hill, every mountaintop, every valley has a purpose because I'm in control and I'm using everything in life to make you what I want you to be. Contentment, then, and appreciation are really based upon perspective. And our perspective will ultimately determine whether we're happy or not. It's not something, it's not not complicated. It's how you view things. Boy, tragedy and difficulties may strike in our lives and it may be difficult to, to go through, but we need to remember that God's in control. Is that not what we have to do? Many of you in the room have gotten a horrible phone call from a doctor Many have heard tragic news on the other end of a phone, a police officer or something calling you. And you've went through difficult times, but through it all, you found that God used that time. That somehow he drew you to himself. He used it to help you to become more dependent upon him. He used it to somehow mold and to make you and to ultimately cause you to appreciate everything that God has given you, not focus so much on the things that you don't have. When it's all said and done, we'll be in heaven with Him anyway, won't we? I mean, in that day, we'll be glad that God did that purifying work, did that, that molding work in our lives, that He put us through the fire even at times. At time, this time, it don't feel too good, does it? But in those days, we'll be thankful more than ever for it. But as a believer, we need to try to keep perspective, don't we? See, there's no meaning in life again without God. And God provides purpose and meaning. I mean, how many have won the lottery and thought, this is a great thing? I won the lottery! I'm rich! Have you ever read stories about people that won the lottery? (laughs) It was the beginning of the downhill slide. It was the beginning of the end, so to speak. It demolished and destroyed their families, their lives, their, their, their world. our attitude and outlook are truly the most important indicators of success in our lives. Because see, you know, the world has its idea of what success is. The world says this is what makes you successful. Excuse me. However, The truth is, you'll never be a success if you don't believe you are. I don't care how many people tell you you are. You will always war with that. The truth is, is that God is the one we find our meaning in. He's the one that says that when we're obedient and we surrender our lives to him and present ourselves to him, then we are, in that sense, going to experience good success. That's not dependent on a bank account. It's not dependent on the the amassing of, of material goods. It's not about this or that. It's all about him and our relationship. He wants us to know that he is good. Whether you're rich or you're poor. No matter where you're at in life, God is still good. I read some letters from, well, 1927, written to Santa Claus. Yeah. I want you to listen to this because, remember, contentment and appreciation are based upon perspective. And they ultimately determine our happiness. So watch this. In 1927, we read, Dear Santa Claus, I'm a very good eight-year-old girl in the third grade. I want you to bring me a baby bottle doll, a buggy, and fireworks, fruits, and candy. In my little brother Danny's letter, he did not say to bring him a doll. But I want you to, because he'll be wanting to play with mine, and he might break it. Don't forget my cousin, Miss May Dickerson, and Anna Mary, your little friend, Ruth Grace Gilliam. Athens, Texas, December 4th, 1927. <clears throat> now, we get another letter. It says, Dear Santa, we are two little boys, 8 and 11 years old. We go to school and are in the 2nd and 4th grades. <clears throat> we want you to bring us an air gun, two storybooks, two boxes of watercolors, some pencils and a tablet, and tablets, and all kinds of fruits, nuts, and fireworks. Your friends Boyd and J.W. Carroll, Athens. 1927. We go to 1940. Dear Santa, I'm a little boy, seven years old, and in in the high first. I want a wagon, candy, fruits, and nuts. Junior Gregory, Athens, Texas. Another letter at that time. I'm a girl, 12 years old, and in the fifth grade. I want a doll and a set of dishes and nuts and fruits. Ruby Gregory, Athens, Texas. Another one. I'm a little girl, six years old. I go to school. I love my teacher and all my roommates. I want you to please bring me a doll and a doll bed. <clears throat> also fruits, nuts, and candy. Don't forget my little sister, Rosemary. Bring her a teddy bear. Bring my two brothers something nice too. Lots of love. Peggy Bristow. Now we come to the year 2000. Hey, Santa. Santa. I'd like to have some Legos, a 20-piece army set, a CD player, a scooter to ride, a new sled to ride on, some new jeans, and a skateboard. And Would you let my mom know that I'm sorry for being so naughty and not doing what she asked me to do? Thank you, Zachary Crispell. I don't know about you, but wasn't the last time that I heard about Santa, didn't didn't he give cold to bad kids? <clears throat> you know what I'm saying? But yet this little kid doesn't seem to think in the year 2000 that, well, that's no big deal. Tell my mom I'm sorry. You know, Help her to know that. I'm not going to change. Just tell her I'm sorry. Now we come to 2018, <clears throat> dear Santa. I want gifts from you because I've been doing good in school. I know that sometimes I get upset at my mom and give her attitude, but I do not get the things I because I do not get the things I want. But I've been working on it, and I'll be be I'll, I'll I will continue to try my best. I also practice my schoolwork with my teachers. Oh, excuse me. I. I also practice my schoolwork that my teachers tell me to do so I can be ahead of the class if I continue working on my attitude in my schoolwork. These are the things I I hope I can get from you. Love Kayla, 8 years old, cell phone, Barbies, Bratz, baby dolls, shoe size 7, clothes size 14 to 16, jewelry, bedroom phone, a purse, a fan that changes colors and patterns. Now, I think more important, and, and, and it is important, we're talking about contentment. We're talking about being thankful. But, but I also notice something throughout this, too. It seems that the ones that were written earlier seem to be more concerned about not just themselves, but others. Isn't it funny how it's getting more independent? It's more about me, me, me. And with that attitude comes more presence and more presence and more presence. And I'm not happy. I'm not content. My mom, I get upset with her because I don't get what I want. That's who I want to send a bunch of presents to. Gratitude and contentment is all about perspective. Years ago in the Philippines when I was there, I remember when they had a big day. This particular day they had 26,000 that came. Now, what they did was they sent out a kilo of rice to every single person that visited. I mean to tell you, they had a kilo of rice and that was the gift. If you come to church today, you'll get a kilo of rice. Talk, let's just make it simple. A pound of rice, okay? 26,000 people came. Does that tell you something about where they're living now in that regard? A thousand, a 26,000 people. Thankful for a kilo of rice. I remember being in the field when I was in the military and we had no food coming in. They weren't bringing us anything. But when I was out there, the instant potatoes, the dehydrated eggs tasted pretty good after six days without meals. I'm going to be honest with you. At first, I didn't want nothing to do with those. But when the meals stopped coming, let me tell you something, those started tasting pretty good after not eating for a few days. It's all about perspective, isn't it? And you know what happens is, is when times like that come, we find that the little things are make us more, that the little things, we're, we're grateful for them. And sometimes God permits and God allows certain things in our life so that we'll appreciate the good that he gives us. Because sometimes if we're not careful, we don't appreciate it. We take it for granted. And God says, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to let life happen. And in life happening, you're going to experience some wonderful things. But I'm also going to let you experience some things that aren't so wonderful. Because I want you to keep perspective. I want you to understand that every good thing that comes to you is from the hand of a good God. See, there is no meaning in life without God again. And God provides purpose and meaning. It's still all about Him. Not only that, but one more thing. I mean, what is this meaning of life? Or why does God permit life to happen? We said, one, so man cannot ever grow independent of God. We also said, so that man will learn to appreciate the goodness of God. But finally, I believe that he allows these things so that man will learn to fear God. Verse 14, the Bible says, I know that whatsoever God doeth, it shall be forever. Nothing can be put to it, nor anything taken from it, and God doeth it, that men should fear before Him. Interestingly enough, before you come to the conclusion, right, or should I say at the conclusion of the book of Ecclesiastes, we read in chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. And keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Wow. I don't know about you, but that's a mouthful. Again, I believe from what the passage and what we find in the chapter that although Solomon is soured on life, he's seeing things through the eyes of flesh. But he's, he's leaving God out of the equation at some point here. And it's not till you include God that everything begins to make sense. But to leave God out, there is no real purpose then for life itself. But God allows life to happen so that we learn some things about ourselves, and about Him. And ultimately that we learn to fear Him. God wants us to fear Him. He wants us to have a healthy fear of Him that will motivate us to accept God's forgiveness and to live righteously. I know we have so many definitions of the word fear in Christian circles. But I can promise you this. The fear that a man or a woman first comes to God with is the fear of a God who is vengeful, wrathful. Why in the world do we want to escape hell? Because we have a God who punishes sin. I understand that even as a child learns early on by fear of mom and dad, that fear turns into awe and respect of mom and dad, the desire not to hurt or harm them. Hopefully that motivation is strong enough that it keeps that child in line, that they realize mom and dad's real goal is not to come down hard on them every second. The goal is to see them grow to a place where they have a conscience and a desire to do right and they recognize The fear of mom and dad being the fear of hurting them, harming them now, not just being harmed by them. There's a difference. The child of God does not go through life if they're a mature Christian, worried that God's going to come down with a hammer. Their greatest concern is that they're going to hurt the Lord. They fear God in the sense that they understand His love and His grace and His mercy, and they do not want to bring hurt or heartache to Him that's a mature understanding of God and the fear of God. But that doesn't come till after there's been fear, fear. A healthy fear of God will motivate us to accept His forgiveness and to live righteously. And the Bible goes on to say here, give us the reason that there's a judgment coming. He wants us to understand there's something ahead yet. And we're going to face it. We're going to deal with it. We're going to come nose to nose with that reality. For He will bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or bad, or or whether it be evil, I should say. And I don't think we can overestimate a healthy fear of God. Uh, Again, I used this this morning uh, uh, at some point, but... You know, if a house is on fire and someone is sitting reading a book in the upstairs window and you simply yell up and say, hey, listen, your house is on fire. And they say, I'm not afraid of a little fire. You can't scare me. I'm not a coward. I'm not afraid. I wonder, does that make them brave or foolish? Does this make them... Courageous or clearly insane. You know what I mean? A healthy fear of God is a good thing. I think sometimes we've boiled God down to be just simply a mere man in our mind. You know, this idea of grandpa sitting on the throne, there to shower presents and gifts and good things on us all the time. That's such a detriment to true Christianity. Our God is not some mere older gentleman that's there to treat us like grandbabies. He's our father. We're his children. and He wants what's best for us. And even as a daddy, in his own wisdom and the, and the biblical truth, says, I'm going to follow the Bible's plan and I'm going to to spank, I'm going to discipline, I'm going to train up my child. So God in heaven is looking at his children, his spiritual children saying, I'm going to train them up and I may have to bring a little bit of discomfort in their life from time to time to do so. A healthy fear of God. I believe that life itself happens. Those ups and those downs. What's the purpose or the meaning of life then? As we said so man will learn to fear God. So the meaning of life's not found in pleasure, position, prosperity, or even power. Life's meaning is only found truly in God. And it's only found in His eternal plan for your life. But see, we must know God first then our life can have true meaning. If there's a question that's being asked around the world, it's why are we here? What is the purpose of life? As believers, we are given that answer. We know. But it's not found in anyone or anything other than the Creator Himself, in God Himself. To make sense of life, to make sense of tragedy, to make sense of good times, bad times, it doesn't matter. To truly make sense of it, we need to understand who God is and how He, how he orchestrates things. He's truly the orchestrator of all things. He has a master plan. See, there's no meaning in life without God. And God provides purpose and meaning. He allows life to happen. So man cannot ever grow independent of God. So he'll learn to appreciate the goodness of God. So he'll learn to fear God. May we learn quickly. May we not be the reason God has to bring. May he not have to bring things in our life to teach us lessons over and over again. May we learn quickly may we learn the first time but thankfully he's a loving gracious, forgiving long-suffering God and even when we are hard-headed and rebellious as his children he still loves us and he's there to meet needs and he wants to bring us back it doesn't mean there won't be scars it doesn't mean there won't be difficulties it doesn't mean that we won't be chastened even What it means is that we still have God. He's still there for us, even if we're not there for Him. Let's learn our lessons through life. Let's allow God to have His way. Let's permit Him to do as He pleases and submit to that and truly understand the meaning of life. Because we want God to be glorified. We want Him to be magnified and exalted. He deserves that because He is God. Father, we come to You.